I'm going to read um, what you have probably heard many times that this triumphant entry, known as being Palm Sunday, because it was the first day of the week, and this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It's recorded in all four, four Gospels. We'll be reading it from Matthew's Gospel. And I'm not going to preach a message like I, you know, go verse by verse. I will kind of go through the verses, of course, but um, I want to tell the story. I want to read the story the way Matthew records it. Then I want to tell you the story the way you might have seen it had you been there 2,000 plus years ago. But also how heaven saw that story because God ordained that triumphant entry. God ordained Palm Sunday for a great eternal purpose. So what it would have looked like had you been there, but the way heaven sees it, the way the reason Jesus was coming in the first place. And you see uh, the title this morning, The Lamb Has Come. And hopefully that will make a lot of sense and crystal clear in just a couple of minutes. So with your Bibles open, verse 1, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives... And Jesus sent two disciples saying, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. So the donkey tied would be the mother donkey and the colt with her, the younger foal. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. If Jesus had needed anything you have, would you give it? I hope you would. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set them on him. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you that we have your word. Lord, this story is so important. You told it through each of the gospels. Lord, we pray that even if we've heard it before, it would be fresh and new this morning. As we step away from our study in the book of John, Lord, but we reflect on what we've learned in the book of John. Lord, I pray that you would give me your insights, your spirit, your anointing, your help, your strength. Lord, I can do nothing without you And we all need you in every way, shape, and form in our life. Lord, you said apart from you we can do nothing. So we, Lord, we ask your word would be food to our souls. And Lord, we would draw near to you. You would give to each person exactly what they need this morning. You would be honored. You'd be glorified. And perhaps, Jesus, you would save someone who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us in our study of John, and if you're visiting, we've been going through the book of John. We're up to chapter 11. And through chapter 11, 
we have been looking primarily in the book of John at the three-year ministry of Jesus, starting at the age of 30. Not every detail, of course. John didn't record every detail, but what he did record, we've been looking at. Whether you've been with us or not, or maybe you're relatively new, or maybe you're visiting here this morning, watching online, let me go backwards in time from this triumphant entrance into Jerusalem, which is at the beginning of Passover week, and go back in time a little bit in our study in the book of John and in the ministry of Jesus. The beginning of John's gospel, again, I just read from Matthew, but think about John chapter 1. The beginning of John chapter, uh, John chapter 1, it picks up again with Jesus at the age of 30, when his public identity as the Messiah was then unknown, but it was about to be revealed. And not everyone knew he was the Messiah. Mary knew, but not everybody knew. And his cousin, John the Baptist, the other John, you have the Apostle John, and you have John the Baptist. So the other John, his cousin John the Baptist, was preaching. And he was wearing camel skins. He was preaching fiery messages and calling people to repent of their sins. Boy, could we use a John the Baptist in America today, couldn't we? I mean, a man that's just on fire for the Lord. Many people were being baptized, which is great that we're doing a baptism today. Baptism was a symbol of them committing their lives to faith in God. If they were not Jewish, they were called a proselyte to commit to the true and living God, turning from their sins. Later on, as we'll observe today, baptism has this added connotation of following Jesus, being cleansed by Jesus, and through salvation, dying to ourselves and sin and being raised to eternal life and being made new. But back to the outset of Jesus' ministry. John, prompted by the Holy Spirit, on one particular day, you guys will recall this way back in John chapter 1, some of you will, Jesus coming towards him, and what did John say? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It was rather odd to refer to a man as a lamb. People are like, what? Are you? He's a man, he's not a lamb. But Jesus is not just any man, is he? And we see in John the Baptist's proclamation an immediate connection to the Passover that was coming. And the central reason that Jesus came. Why? Because Jesus came to pay the penalty of sin with his own life. The Jews, they were familiar with the morning and the evening sacrifices, with the sin offerings, with the day of atonement called Yom Kippur, and the offering that was on that day, and the requirement of shed blood of animal sacrifices. They were familiar with all that. A portion of the book of Hebrews, written to Jewish believers, explains how Jesus' blood accomplishes what none of the animal sacrifices ever could. You could have sacrifices from now until eternity. It would not cover your sins. Amen? And pertaining to the Passover, every 
faithful Jewish person knew that during this one week, and later that week on the specific Passover day, that there was a requirement for a spotless lamb. This week, one, one special day, and it had to be sacrificed at twilight, pointing back to Israel being set free by God from the chains of Egypt and Pharaoh. That's what, that was the origination. But the Lamb of God, so how does Jesus factor into all this? But the Lamb of God was sent to the children of Israel first to free them from the chains of sin and death, not Pharaoh. Which is an sin and death is an eternal problem. It's a far greater problem than Egyptian enslavement. No one wants to be a slave. But death and hell is far worse. Many slaves are in heaven today. From, from the last 6,000 years of human history, many slaves are with Jesus. Praise God, right? They'll never suffer again. But not only had Jesus, the Lamb of God, come for the Jews that would celebrate this Passover, but as John had proclaimed, he came for the world, right? The world, not just the Jews, not just Israel. From his being laid in a borrowed manger and a borrowed tomb, you get this connotation, a borrowed donkey, everything Jesus had. Isn't it weird? The one who created the world borrowed all these things. But from the time he was laid in that borrowed tomb, or that borrowed manger in Bethlehem, throughout his childhood, through the first 30 years of his life, which was preparation period, which I ought to tell you, God will spend a lot more time preparing you before he pours you out. And Jesus was perfect. But his public revelation, and then his baptism comes to fruition at the age of 30. Then we have his three years of teaching, teaching, preaching, teaching, preaching, discipling, calling multitudes to repentance, healing thousands of people along with many mighty miracles, such as feeding the 5,000. Every single second of Jesus' life from time he was born, laid in that manger, to the time he is entering Jerusalem on this triumphant entrance. Every single second, every step, every action, every word was leading to the crescendo of this Passover week. All of it was leading to this week. To come to the Passover, his last Passover, and present himself as the lamb that would cover the sins that all the lambs from Moses under the law, and even going back to when even Noah did a sacrifice after the flood, all the sacrifices up to the first century, none of them could ever atone for. Those lambs and those sacrifices always pointed to the lamb. They were all a foreshadow. They were all pointing to the direction of Jesus. But as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, he's winding his way to Jerusalem, there's a buzz about his arrival. 
Some even questioned, would he arrive? Because some people knew that some people wanted him dead. Would he even show up? Local Jews, local Jews were well aware that the high priest and the Pharisees and the leaders wanted Jesus dead. The local Jews knew this. If you've been with us on our study of John, you know that the leaders have been scheming. They've even attempted on a couple of occasions to stone Jesus, but he just goes right through their midst. It wasn't his time. He escaped. It was not yet his time to die. The religious leaders were infuriated by Jesus' teaching. They hated his teaching. They hated him healing people. Oh, they especially hated when he healed people on the Sabbath. Even though those were all proofs that he was sent by God, they despised these things. The high priest at the time, Caiaphas, we'll be looking at Caiaphas in the coming weeks as we finish out chapter 11. And the leaders with Caiaphas and the Pharisees and the religious scribes, they were deeply, deeply, deeply troubled by Jesus' latest miracle, which we just covered, raising Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead for four days. That miracle sent them over the edge. The word was racing through the Judean towns and all the cities. And in their private conversations, I'm talking about Caiaphas and his little group of leaders that had the power at the top to be able to talk to people like Pilate or Herod. The little power group of Caiaphas and the leaders in their private conversation, the plan was set that Jesus would not leave Jerusalem alive if he decided to come to this Passover. He would not leave alive as far as they were concerned. They're only partially right on this one, Right? You know, you know the, the story ends, right? He won't leave alive. Uh, actually, he will. But we'll get to that next Sunday. The word was going around that these things were being discussed. But the massive influx of Jewish pilgrims that are coming from other countries, coming from places like Alexandria and Egypt and coming from Greece and coming from Persia and all these Jewish pilgrims that were uh, coming in, they were unaware of this plot to kill Jesus. They were unaware of who Jesus was, was. And this would also include some of the local Jews who were unaware, especially the really wealthy ones that don't care about what peasants are talking about. They might even, some local Jews might have thought, hey, this plot is out there, but it'll never really come to fruition. So maybe Jesus really will show up because they've tried to kill him before. It never works. So maybe he'll also come. And all prior attempts have failed so far. So this entrance, which we now refer to as Palm Sunday, it attests to, at this time, when Jesus comes into the city, it attests to his popularity was reaching new levels just as it reached the highest level, it would crash and burn in the same week. But it was reaching new levels, and more and more people were hoping to just catch a glimpse of Jesus. The word was spreading, hey, there's this prophet from Nazareth. You've got to see him. What's he done? He's healed thousands. He's raised someone from the dead right over in Bethany. Four days dead, all these things. All this word is heading back. I know that Americans don't think that this stuff happened because they can't even remember what was on Twitter yesterday. But this was the buzz of the area. 
all over Jerusalem. And remember, thousands are coming for the Passover. This is the one time where the city would swell. Josephus said sometimes up to two million people. Now surely, they were hoping we could get a glimpse of Jesus. The word was going around that Israel had found the Messiah prophesied by the law. That was the other thing. Hey, this might be the Messiah. The law told us that Messiah is coming and that the prophet, like unto Moses, could it be that he was none other than Jesus of Nazareth? Incoming pilgrims from the nations were told by Judean and Galilean Jews about his teaching, about how he spoke with authority about his wisdom, about his power, about his miracles. So you have local Jews telling incoming Jews, you've got to hear about this guy. You've got to see him. We think he might even show up. He might even show up at the beginning of Passover week. But then again, he might not because there's this plot to kill him. They were hoping maybe God would be sending the one that would take the throne of David. Right there in the city of David. You know, it's called... Places, it's, Israel's called a number of things. Zion, the city of David, the mountain of the Lord. And what greater week, if this heir to David would come, if he was going to come and take the throne of David, what greater week to crown him king as pa- than Passover week, which was when they were liberated from the bondage of Egypt, celebrating Israel's ancient release from the Pharaoh that evil king that ruled over Egypt, if God could bring in the king that would be greater than David or take David's throne, what a great week to do it. Passover week would be perfect. The anticipation continued for days. Would he show up? Would he come? Remember, even Herod had yet to even see Jesus face to face. He was finally going to have that opportunity that week. Would Jesus come? Now, he had come to every single other. If you've been following with us in the book of John, did Jesus miss any required feast? No. There was three a year that every Jewish man had to attend, and Jesus had not missed a single feast ever. So if he missed this one, that would be the first one he ever missed. I don't think he's going to miss it. How about you? Of course, we know the whole reason his eyes are fixed on this date anyway. Would he come? The visitors and the locals, they wondered... They hoped, they waited, then word came. No doubt some ran ahead and, and were saying, he's coming. You know, and even, in, even in America, we had the Pony Express, which kind of gets word out in front, right? People going ahead saying, he's coming. We know he's traveling down the road that leads all the way. If you've been with Israel, you know the Mount of Olives sits east of the city, and it comes straight down into Jerusalem. He's coming, and he's on the road that would lead right to Jerusalem. He's coming. Our hope, our Messiah, our King, the one who will vanquish Rome and the Caesars and revitalize the kingdom of David. This is the week. This is the time. Well, they're half right. This is the week. And this is the time. But not for what they were expecting. Amen? They're right. It is the week. It's not the week for Jesus to take the throne of David. It's the week for Jesus to take the cross. Jesus had told his disciples, 
We just read it in the text there in Matthew 21. Go, find a colt, the younger donkey that had never been ridden. It had to be a donkey that had never been ridden. Thus fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9. You can go back and read Zechariah 9 if you have the time. Now as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, riding on the colt, he's coming towards Jerusalem, couple miles out, he's on this colt. The anticipation is building even more. I mean, people have traveled from all over the world to be there for Passover, and they're excited about Passover, but then everyone's like, no, no, this is even greater. We might have the heir to David coming today. Throngs of people, far more than usual because of this Passover feast, which was the most attended feast, quickly line the, they line the route just like a parade. They start lining the road. Almost spontaneously, the crowds began taking off their outer garments and throwing them on the ground to line the road. It would have been an amazing sight. Thousands of garments. We're talking, not, not like in children's pictures, see like two on the road. It would have lined the entire road. We're talking about thousands of garments, thousands of palm trees. It would have looked really cool, even artistic. Jesus is looking at all this. You can imagine what he's thinking. All these throngs of people, all these souls. As Jesus appears, people are waving, waving palm. They put some on the ground. The clothes are on the ground. They've lined the entire road. It's this collection of colors that's lining the road, waving branches and shouting and rejoicing. They were having a praise service, a worship service. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The second portion, blessed, fulfilling Psalm 118, verse 26. You can write, write that down if you're a note taker. Psalm 118, 26 it fulfills that passage. Now, not coincidentally, because God puts the things in people's mouth to say, puts Jesus where he's supposed to be, puts everywhere, everyone where they're supposed to be. Not coincidentally, in the same chapter of Psalm 118, you can write this down as well, you go four verses up, Psalm 118, verse 22, they were shouting Psalm 118, 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were shouting that verse. What they were not shouting, four verses up, same Psalm 118, verse 22, it says this, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Four verses up. They're shouting praise, but the rejection is right in the same chapter. Many of, see, heaven knows all this. God knows the whole scene. Many of these same people that are shouting and rejoicing and waving palm branches are going to reject Jesus just a few days later. They're going to say, give us Barabbas. Jesus will quote, get this, he will quote Psalm 118.22, four verses up, as soon as he walks into the temple. You think he's not unaware of the whole chapter of Psalm 118? Of course he is. He's the author and finisher of not only faith, but the entire word. The apostle Peter, who was there with Jesus, 
will deny Jesus in a few days. He will go on to quote Psalm 118, 22, the stone which the builders rejected, twice, once in a preaching message, once in the epistle of 1 Peter. But throngs of adoring people could not have seen themselves. They could not have pictured themselves. And by the way, people who think they're really good people, your next-door neighbor thinks they're a good person, or your, your family member thinks they're a good person, I don't need Jesus, I'm a good person. They couldn't see themselves as the sinner they really are. That's why we all need to be humbled by the gospel. But they couldn't have seen themselves after crying out for Jesus and worship, crying out for his death by the end of the week. They could not have seen that 180 turn. They also didn't see Jesus as the Lamb of God. They saw him as this coming king. They didn't see the Passover lamb sitting on the colt. No, they saw the heir to King David, Solomon. And they're right. Jesus is the heir to the throne. Many prophecies tell us that about him. He is the heir to the throne. He will sit on that throne. And he's the far greater king than David. Amen? Jesus is a far greater king than David. They're right that he is the heir. And he's not only going to rule over Israel, but he's going to rule over the Roman Empire and all the nations of the world. But first things first. First things first. First things have to be taken care of before those other things are put into place. You see, rejoicing multitudes, each and every individual... They need a lamb. They need a lamb. They need a spotless lamb. Before they need a king, more than they need a king. If you're here today, you're watching online, you've never come to Jesus. You need a lamb more than you need a leader. But you'll get both with Jesus. Now Jesus was already past, present, future. He was already the king of kings. He is king of kings. He doesn't need anyone to tell him, oh, by the way, you should sit on the throne. But he could not be their king or your king or my king until he is first our personal lamb. Got to be the lamb first. The Passover required a lamb for every household, unless you had a lamb large enough for two households. But it was a lamb for every household. But Jesus arrived as the lamb for every heart, a lamb for each heart. It is a one-to-one -one application of his atonement, the covering of his blood, as the scriptures tell us. Each home in, Ex in the back in the book of Exodus, when the original Passover took place, each home they had to apply the blood to the top and to the two sides of the door, to the doorpost and what we call the lentil. Each soul has to apply the blood of Jesus to the doorpost of our heart. Can't see the heart. And by the way, when you're saved, you never see literal blood, but the atoning by the Holy Spirit takes place. This is a decision that can't be made by the whole house. Such as Passover, the father could sacrifice the lamb on behalf, behalf of the house, but... Not when it comes to salvation. No, nobody can make that decision for us. It has to be a one-to-one -one decision. We have to see our need for the lamb 
We have to see our need for the lamb and receive the sin covering that Jesus alone provides. This is why Jesus turned the focus of the Passover meal from the Exodus to his own body and blood as the bread and the wine. That's when he sits down at the Last Supper and says, this is my body which is broken for you. They had never heard that line ever in any Passover meal. True? Those of you that are Jewish, you know that is something Jesus introduces. He turns the focus. It's not at that point about the Exodus. It's about the Savior. It's about the Lamb. The Messiah had come to deal with sin. He was not coming as another Moses, even though he's a prophet like unto Moses. In other words, Moses being just a leader, a great leader, or David, who was a great leader, a king, but he was coming as a lamb to be slain. This is the intent of his entrance on Palm Sunday. This is the whole focus of his entrance. There's his Hosanna to God in the highest. We have the heir to David. His is, no, I'm coming as a lamb. They're looking for a king, but he's coming as a lamb. Yes, Jesus certainly heard their praises. He heard the worship. But he saw in their souls the deadly problem of sin. That's what he saw. You and I can't see inside people's hearts. We can only see the best of their exterior, the way they carry themselves, what they say, how they act. But Jesus could see at the soul level. He can see right now what every single person in this room and online is thinking. He knows your most intimate thought. He knows what you're holding on to and what you're willing to let go of. But he saw that deadly problem of sin, even while he's hearing these throngs praising these, you know, disciples probably were like, man, you should just go ahead and j- just jump on the throne. You got, everyone's, you got everyone's adulation. This is what you were hoping for, right? No. It's why he came on a lowly donkey, a beast of burden, not a majestic horse like the kings and the Caesars would come in on, not on some glorious chariot like a conquering king. He didn't come like a conquering king. He came on a lowly donkey. Those are also terms of peace, by the way. He was coming to offer peace, and the peace would be through his own body and through his own blood. And Jesus, not only was he on a beast of burden, but he came with his own unimaginable burden. He's burdened for the whole world. Just in a few days, he's going to sweat drops of blood. A donkey was carrying Jesus, but Jesus was carrying the weight of the world. Let me say that again. A donkey was carrying Jesus, but Jesus was carrying the weight of the world. And as Jesus finally entered Jerusalem, those who did not know who he was, because there's thousands of pilgrims that are now in the city, many of them now have heard the buzz, some have not. Some have been just catching up with family and haven't even heard of Jesus yet. Some in verse 10, you can see it right there in Matthew 21, 10. And some in the city, uh, when he'd come into the city, the city, the, all the city was moved. This, the whole city was moved by this day. The whole city was, ta- this was the talk of the town. And some people said, who is this? It's the question that's still being asked today in 2022. People are still asking today, who is Jesus? Jesus. 
people are still asking that question. The scriptures tell us exactly who Jesus is. Some there answered, Jesus is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. He's the prophet, not a prophet. And that's 100% true. He is the prophet from Nazareth. But there's much more to that truth. Because remember, from the time Jesus was born, even before he was born, when the angels prophesied of his birth, his name Jesus was to mean he shall save his people from their sins. He indeed was a prophet, the prophet. But he didn't just come to prophesy of God. He came as God, Emmanuel. Amen? He came as God, not just to prophesy about God. But he also came as the Son of God. Now, I know that sometimes it confuses. Jesus has so many titles. Which one is he? Yes. <laughs> He's all of them. Simultaneously, but also specifically, some of those titles for, for such a specific time, though they transcend time. So he also came as the Son of God. And just like Isaac, which was a foreshadow of Jesus, remember Isaac was to be sacrificed by his father. Isaac was on the little donkey going up the hill. Isn't it interesting that Isaac is set on a donkey, Jesus is set on a donkey. Up to Mount Moriah, same city of Jerusalem, exact same place. Of course, the city wasn't there then. It was just a mountain. Jesus came to fulfill the foreshadow, not just of Isaac, all the foreshadows of the Messiah. But specifically, which Isaac didn't do, remember a, a ram took the place of Isaac, Jesus would be shedding his blood as the lamb. Understand that Jesus, he was worthy of all the worship and adulation. He was worthy of all the hosannas and the praises and the palm branches and everything laid on the ground. He was worthy of all the worship that coincided with his triumphant entry. He was worthy of it all. But what was needed... Is always needed before you can worship, there has to be repentance. You can't worship first and repent later. You have to repent first, then. Then the worship is from the Spirit of God. There had to be repentance first. In Romans 9, 13, it says, As it is written, Behold, I lay, a, lay in Zion. Zion, of course, there in Jerusalem. Zion, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It has to be that you believe on the Lamb, that you turn to the Lamb, that you repent and turn from sin. Then God will not put you not only to shame in this life, but eternal shame. Many have admired Jesus down through the ages. I've met people that don't have anything against Jesus, that have told me, I think he was a good teacher, I think he was a good man, I think he was good this, but I don't think I need him. You do not have any idea who you're talking about. <laughs> Many people have admired, even praised Jesus without believing on him, without trusting him, without turning to him. If you know Jesus today, and he knows you as Savior, then you have a reason to shout Hosanna. Amen? Your worship can be from the depths of your soul because you know him as your lamb, but also your savior. 
And if he's the lamb that saves you, guess what? He's now the king that accepts you. Isn't that great? He is your king. Personally. And we should still lay down whatever he asks of us to make way for him. If he says, lay down your coat so I can walk on it, yes, do it. Actually tells us to lay down our lives, doesn't he? And those being baptized today have done this. They've laid down their burden of sin at the foot of the cross, knowing that Jesus is the only blood that can atone them. They're not trusting in animal sacrifice. They're trusting in the Savior. And now, because this service is both me teaching this message and hoping you taking, back, taking you back in time to see what people saw that day, but also how heaven saw the whole thing playing out. But we also have this baptism service today that we've kind of folded it all together. Now, those that will be getting in this baptismal in a few minutes, they're laying down their lives, which is precisely what's needed for Jesus to raise them up and all of us up for his plans, his peace, his glory. It's always about him, not about us. It's always about him. All of which he promises to do, and he promises to deliver. Do you believe in the promises of Jesus? That he's going to do that. As we think of this Palm Sunday, and we think of the start of this Passover week, and next Sunday I'll be covering the resurrection. I'll talk a little bit about the the cross, of course, as well, but into the resurrection. Uh, As we start this Passover week, and it does start this week, this is one of the times in the calendar that's in direct... um, synchronization with the Hebrew calendar, not always, the Gregorian calendar and the Hebrew calendar sometimes are not in sync, but this is one of those weeks that they are. Uh, but as we start this Passover week, Jesus, in fact, Jesus is in fact, without question, he is the king of kings. We should be waving palm branches, if you will. But he's also, he's also the shepherd that leads us. Aren't you glad he's the good shepherd? He's also the priest that serves on our behalf. He makes intercession for us. And he's the Savior that saves, that has saved us. But our knowing him personally in each of these glorious roles always comes first by the blood of the Lamb. First things first. You first have to recognize him as the Lamb before he can be your shepherd, before he can be your priest, before he can be your king. That's why he came. That's why he came, to be the lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've sent your only begotten son who accomplished in the years of 33 years every single thing you sent him to do, fulfilling every jot, every tittle as the scriptures tell us, fulfilling every prophecy, Lord, walking the road to Jerusalem as the lamb of God that he would become the risen Savior, and the King of kings, which he already was, but Lord, these things had to be fulfilled. And so as we look at the start of this week, Lord, I pray that you would just, even though we know these truths, Lord, they would sink deeper into our souls. And Lord, we'd fall more in love with the Jesus who has saved us and redeemed us and came for us. And Lord, we'd be more, we'd have more allegiance to the King of kings And Lord, more attentive ears to the good shepherd and more communion with our high priest. And Lord, as our heads are bowed, Lord, I just, I know that 
I just retold this story as best as I could related to the time that it was taking place and, and what was taking place and how you saw it from heaven. But Lord, if there's someone here in this time, in this moment, in this morning on April 10th, the 100th day of this year, if there's someone you're speaking to that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that has thought Jesus is just a man or they're a pretty good person, Lord, I pray if you've spoken to them that they would call upon your name today to be saved. Lord, if there's even one, I pray that you'd speak and prick their heart and Lord, they would run literally and metaphorically, run to you for salvation. For if, Lord, if they first repent, then they can worship you as king. If your heads are bowed, Lord, if there's just, I just want to ask before we move into this baptism phase, if there's even one person, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's even one, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Even, even one person. Anyone online? If you're online and just... God really convicted me. I need Jesus. I, I, I have sins that I feel guilt and shame about. I, I don't know what to do. I'm not ready for eternity. If I should die, I don't know where I would spend it. Because there's only two places. There's heaven and hell. There's not a third option. There's not a purgatory where someone can pray you out. There's none of that happens. But if that's you, just pray, Lord, I hear you calling me by name. Jesus, would you please forgive me? and wash me and cleanse me and write my name in the land's book of life fill me with your Holy Spirit I turn from my sins and I follow you Jesus from this day forward be my Lord and Savior Amen